you're going to have to excuse me uh, tonight as I uh, uh, open up an introduction. Uh, the introduction is going to be a little bit lengthy. I promise we're going to get to the scripture, uh, but we've got to set the groundwork a little bit. Um, so I guess to start setting the groundwork for tonight, uh, I'm, I'm just going to share a story. It's a general story. I can't remember a specific time in my childhood where this happened. I'm sure that it happened at some point. My mom's here, so if you hear an amen, it probably definitely did happen. Um, but we've all had times as kids where we did something that was wrong, right? We did something that we know we shouldn't have done and we messed up. Um, and I'm just going to use the classic example of, you know, you're running through the house and you bump the vase off the, 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 the buffet or table or whatever it is that you've knocked the vase off of. And uh, your mom comes to you without fail. And I, I can remember there's times in my life where this happened. I don't know that it happened with the vase, but, you know, your mom comes to you or your dad comes to you and says, hey, you know, what happened? And you look at him dead faced and say, I don't know. You know, you're just like completely clueless. You're trying to pretend like you don't know. Or you're saying, you might even go to him and say, well, you know, uh, it was somebody else. Or, but, and you try to blame it on someone else and all these other things. But uh, deep down inside, you know that there's a truth to that. You know that there's a true story. You know that there's one true story in that situation. Um, tonight, as we talk about, uh, as Pastor Shane said, truth in a lost world, the thing that we must realize is that there is such a thing as a truth. I was get, as I was getting ready for tonight, I was thinking about uh, who would be here on a Sunday night, and I, I got to thinking, and I realized that a lot of us here on a Sunday night probably do not disagree with the statement that there is one truth. Um, however, there might be some people here who do not believe that, and so I just want to take a quick second to share with you as Christians what we believe uh, about truth. The first uh, passage of Scripture I want us to turn to really quickly, just in a way of introducing tonight, is John chapter 14, uh, verse 6, is where we're going to be uh, for just a split second, so if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. Uh, but Jesus here is talking, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus here uses the word the. He does not use the word a. He does not use the word I am one of the truths. He uses the word I am the truth, the way, and the life. And so what we see through that is that there is truly one truth that we can learn through Scripture. The second passage of Scripture, just really quick, is John chapter 8, uh, verses 31 and 32. Again, Jesus is saying, uh, he says uh, to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so we see through that passage of Scripture that not only is there a truth, but as human beings, we can know that truth. And not only can we know that truth, that truth has a purpose. And that purpose is to set us free. But we live in a world that is growingly aggressive towards not only Christian truth, but the existence of truth in general. We live in a world where people are saying, oh, well, whatever you want to believe is truth. Whatever you think is right is truth. Whatever you think, whatever makes you feel good, that's what you believe, that's what's true to you. We know as Christians that's not the case. We live in a world that is growingly aggressive to not only the Christian truth, but uh, also to the very existence of truth. Um, if you don't believe that statement, uh, you don't have to look any further than in the news media. How many times over the past couple of years have we seen a case in the news where people just kind of seem to make up whatever story they want to seem, and then after a few months they have to take it back and say, oh, well, that wasn't true, that, that wasn't a real thing. But here's the thing, they presented it as truth because it's what they wanted to believe. It's what they felt like they needed to believe. But the sad thing is, is it's not just news media where people believe many different truths. 
We live in a country where we are living amongst so many different worldviews. Over the past couple of Sunday nights, we've been talking about these idea of a worldview. And a worldview is simply a way that you see the world, a way, a framework through which you make sense of the world around you. And in our country, there are many, many different worldviews. And so as we're here on a Sunday night, as most of us here do acknowledge that there is a singular truth, that there is one truth, and that truth is found in the Word of God. Tonight, I want us to think about and address through God's Word, how can we respond? How can we act? How should we handle this world that does not recognize truth? You know, there's a reason why this world is not acknowledging truth. We see it right in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He says earlier, um, he's talking about uh, in uh, John chapter 8, verse 31, he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and then you shall know the truth. See, the reason why our world is confused is because they don't know Jesus. The reason why our world does not understand the truth is because they don't have any kind of foundation for their life, any kind of moral compass to point them towards what truth really is. Instead, the world around us is following their own desires, their own intellects, and their own dreams. We see that all throughout the world. We see so many people, especially in my generation, unfortunately, that are saying, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to marry whoever I want to marry. I'm going to do whatever I feel is right. And it doesn't matter what you believe, it's what I believe that matters. But the truth is that there is a singular truth. And that brings us to what we're going to talk about tonight, how to handle the truth in a lost world. So if you will, if you'll flip over to Acts chapter 17, uh, we'll be starting in verse 16. Let me just go ahead and set the stage here a little bit. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He'd already been on one missionary journey, and he's been going around to all these different cities and towns in the area, proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And he comes to Athens, and we've all heard of Athens, and it's not Athens, Georgia. It is Athens, Greece. And Athens, Greece was a very, very important city, and throughout all of human history, really, it has been one of the most important cities in human history. And so Paul comes to the city of Athens, and that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 17. So if you will stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word. The Bible says this, it says, now while, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was give, given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. There are then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to proclaim, a, uh, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Aragopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians were, uh, and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Verse 22 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. 
God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of, you, uh, some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's uh, devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given us assurance of this by raising him, uh, of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysius uh, and Arapagite, a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let's pray. Dearly Father God, as we look into your word to see what it has for us in terms of how to handle truth in our world. God, I pray that you would speak to us, God. God, I pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece, God, and that you would be the one that people remember tonight. God, I pray this all in your name. Amen. So just in a way of summarizing what we just read, because that was a lot to read. There was a lot of stuff going on. A lot of things happened in that passage of Scripture. I just want to remind you of a few things that just happened in that passage of Scripture. The first thing is that Paul was in a city of many false truths. History tells us that there were more than 30,000 gods in Athens. I want you to think about that. 30,000 gods in Athens. All these gods were worshipped in one city. Uh, uh, Pateronius, uh, he was a famous historian of the time, said it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man in Athens. That's crazy. This city was full of idol worship. We see two specific groups of these people who were following these false idols in this text. uh, The first one is the Epicureans. History tells us, and just from philosophy, we know that Epicureans are people uh, who are atheistic, materialistic, and hedonist. They're people who don't believe that there's a God. They believe that the God is stuff, and they believe that that God who is stuff that doesn't exist can make you happy. Makes no sense, but that's what they believe. They believe that there is no God, that the God is stuff, and that stuff, which is God, can make you happy. So that was the Epicureans, and the second group of people that we see in this passage of Scripture are the Stoics. These were pantheists. They believed that everything was God. They believed that um, everything was God, that there was no such thing as God. They were very scientific. They were very knowledgeable. Um, We actually get one of our English words, Stoic, uh, from this group of people. That word Stoic means to not have many emotions, and that's because this group of people focus very hard on not showing emotions. They thought that emotions would make you, lead you to make wrong decisions, and so they didn't show emotions. Um, and I just find it interesting, looking at this text, those two groups of people are very similar to our culture in America. 
On one hand, you have the Epicureans who are who are atheists, who are materialists, who are hedonists, right? That's one group of people in our country. I would call them the social left who say that, that there is no such thing as God, that there is no such thing as truth. Whatever you want to do and however you want to live your life, you can live it and it's going to be okay. And by the way, get as much stuff as you can along the way because it'll make it better. But then the second group is Stoics. And in today's world, I would equate them to the scientific people who are telling us that there is no God. That if we look around us, we can just see that the world is just amazing and awesome, and there is no such thing as God, and the world is what we need to be worshiping. Science is what we need to be worshiping. And so we see some parallels between Athens and the world that we live in today. But here we find Paul in the middle of this city of idol worshipers, right? This is the Paul, just, just to remind you, who is actively persecuting Christians not much longer before this. But we see, obviously, that he's had a change in heart. Look in uh, verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. What God's word is saying here is this. Paul was brokenhearted. Paul was devastated over what he saw. As he was walking through the city, he saw all these different idols. He saw all these different things that people were worshiping. And it broke his heart. It absolutely wrecked Paul to the core, so much that it provoked his spirit. Can I ask a question? Where's that brokenness in the American church? We live in a world just like Athens that that has so many different truths, that has so many different gods, that worships so many different things, that seeks for so many different things, that even worships things that, that... that we make up and we, we devise of our own in, intelligence and all these different things that we worship. And yet we're not broken over the lostness of the world. It's important to note that Paul was not broken over the actions of Athens. He was broken over the lostness of Athens. The church is so guilty today of being so focused on what people are doing rather than what they are believing. So many of us focus on the actions of lost people rather than their heart condition. Their actions, guess what? That's what the Bible says is going to send them to hell, but guess what? They have a choice, and if they chose to follow Jesus, the Bible tells us just like God forgave you and me, he can forgive them. And so we need to be broken over the lostness of the world around us, just like Paul. But the thing is, Paul didn't just sit there, right? Paul didn't just let the, law, uh, the brokenheartedness that he had, the, the, the ache that he had in his heart, he didn't just let that just stay within him and just sit back and go, oh, well, this is awful. I guess I just can't do anything, right? He, he actually did something about it. The, the, the third thing we see is that Paul fulfilled the Great Commission. Verse 17, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Yeah, Paul was going around on this missionary journey to minister to the churches and to see people saved, but the Bible here tells us that he was on a daily mission, a daily personal mission of personally sharing the gospel with people. He was so broken over the lostness of the world around him that he took it personally, and he took it on himself. He took the call of God in Matthew 28 seriously, and he said, it is my job to share the gospel with others, to see them saved, to see them discipled. Paul didn't just sit back and do nothing. 
Paul didn't just say, oh, well, there's no hope for this city. There's no hope for this lost city. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to do. I find it interesting that it says that Paul was sharing in the marketplace, right? We think about Paul as going to all these influential places, and it'd be very interesting in this text to miss that he was sharing in the marketplace. It's so easy to focus on the fact that Paul was sharing in the Aragopagus. He was sharing in front of all these famous people, but Paul was sharing in the marketplace too. He was sharing through his everyday life. He was not just sharing in the the big stage. The next thing we see is that people rejected Paul. Look with me in verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic, those are those two groups that we talked about earlier, philosophers encountered him, and some said to him, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be uh, be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So these people, right, he's he's proclaiming the gospel to these people who, who don't subscribe to any form of truth. They're just sitting there and talking back and forth about these different thoughts and these different things. In fact, down in verse 21, we see uh, the Bible tells us that these people, uh, it says, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. These people were so caught up in trying to figure out what truth was, and here Paul is trying to share it with them, and they reject him. They start making fun of him, right? They start saying, man, what are you talking about? You're you're just babbling. You're not making any sense. None of what you're saying lines up with what these things are that we've created. None of what you're you're saying makes any sense with what we understand to be true. But here's the thing. People were also curious. They, They didn't just reject Paul. People were also curious. Verse 19 says, And then they took him and brought him to the Aragopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of, what you, of, of which you speak, for you are bring, bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. See, these people were curious, but they weren't convicted yet. They wanted to hear from Paul. They wanted to hear the truth, but they weren't really convicted over it yet. They, they were just like, okay, we want to kind of hear what you have to say. We want to we know a little bit more about this Jesus guy that you, you're talking about. The next thing we see is that not only are they curious, not only do they reject Paul, but also that they are aware that something is missing. Verse 22 says this, And then Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through, and I considered the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Here you have... These, these philosophers, these people who are incredibly smart, many of them who we still even know their names today. And they'd gone down every logical path, they'd gone down every path of their own desires and their own feelings and their own emotions, and they'd created all these different gods to fulfill all of those things, but yet at the end of the day, they still knew something was missing. They still were sitting there going, listen, there's something else out there. There's something that we don't know about yet that's going to come up. Guys, our world, the world that we live in, they know something's missing. You don't believe me? Look at suicide rates. Look at depression rates. Look at rates of people asking questions. Look at, just, just, just go ask somebody on the street about Jesus. And I guarantee you, most of them will listen to you. There's very few people in today's world who are going to turn you away because they know something's missing. And so Paul sees that they're curious, he sees that they're rejecting him, he sees that they're aware that something's missing, and then Paul goes on 
and he proclaims the truth. Starting in verse 25, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this, this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I, or without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple, temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things. So the first thing we see as Paul is proclaiming this truth is that God is the creator. Right? Paul's telling him, he's saying, listen, this God that you don't know, he created you. He's given you life. He's given you breath. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He goes on. Verse 27, he says, So that they, uh, I'm sorry, verse 26, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So Paul doesn't just say that, they, that God created him. God also, Paul also says that God created us to seek him. So Paul's just going through the gospel here, right? He's just laying out the gospel to these people. And he's just saying, listen, even some of your own people have recognized that, that you are made by God. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are of the off, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and by man's devising. Paul goes right to the heart of the problem in Athens. He says, "Listen, you guys think that you can make up whatever you want and believe that and call it truth. But I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. God is not something that we made up. God is not something that man created. God is not something that we just thought about and it came into being. God is eternal. God has been here since the beginning of time. And then in verse 30 and 31, he just shares with him the simple gospel. He says, Truly these time of ignorance overlooked, or uh, have been overlooked. Uh, I'm sorry. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained and he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You know what Paul says here? He says, listen, you guys have come up with all these different truths. You've tried to fill the void in your heart. You've tried to do all this stuff to, to make you feel like you've got it figured out. But the only way is Jesus. The only way to fill that void is Jesus. The only one who can give you eternal life is Jesus. The only one who can give you a meaningful life is Jesus. As I was studying, I was just reminded, if you look over in Romans uh, chapter 1, he says a very similar thing uh, to the church in Rome. Flip over there with me, if you will. Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 23. Or 18 through 23. Here Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by, all, by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their own thoughts, and, foolish, uh, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And change the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So Paul is clearly saying here, listen, God is not something that you can conjure up. There is a truth, right? We've talked about that. We talked about that in the introduction. There is a truth. As Christians, we believe that there is a truth. If you're not a Christian in this room tonight, I'm sorry to tell you, there is a truth. One truth, God's truth, that is found in God's word and is not found anywhere else. And Paul says in Romans, he says, listen, thinking that you are wise, you became as fools. That breaks my heart for our country. There are so many people in our country today who think they've got it all figured out. There's so many of my friends who think that they've got it all figured out. There's so many of your children's friends who think that they've got it all figured out, that they're just the smartest thing since sliced bread, that their views of the world are just the greatest thing ever. And they think they're just so smart, but the Bible says that they're foolish. Because the truth's been given to them. The, proof, the, the, the truth has been shown to them through God's creation. Romans chapter 1 says that God's creation reveals that there is a God to everyone. And that because of that, everyone is without excuse. And so Paul shares that with the Athenians. And lastly, not only uh, does Paul share the truth, but people respond to the truth. Go back to Acts chapter 17, where we were earlier. Starting in verse 32, says this, And when they heard of the uh, resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius and uh, and Aragopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So we see that Paul is in this dark city, is in a city where, where there seems to be no hope, right? There's so many different choices of what to believe. And it would have been so easy for Paul just to sit back and go, well, I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm not going to do this. There's, there's so many other choices here. These guys are so much smarter than me. They, they've got so much better logic than I've got. I'm not as prepared as them and all this stuff. But, but Paul shares the gospel and people respond to the truth. And so we come back to the question, how do we handle truth in a lost world? So what? What does this story mean to us today? What can we take from this story? How can we apply this story to our life? Well, the first thing, just like Athens, we live in a world that denies the existence of a singular truth. That's the first thing. We see in the text that that Athens denied that there was one truth. They were worshiping 30,000 gods. They were worshiping many gods. The text says that Paul was broken-hearted, because they were given over to idols. They were full of idols. This city was full of idols. But if we want to see our world impacted by the gospel, we must, like Paul, be brokenhearted and obedient. That's a key word there. I'll say it again. If we want 
to see our world impacted by the truth of the gospel, we must be brokenhearted and obedient. So many of us are brokenhearted. So many of us look at the world around us and we go, man, our world is just going to hell in a handbasket. There is no hope for the world around us. This is just awful. How in the world can these people believe these things? This is just such a shame. Woe is me. This is just the worst. And then there's other people who are doing what they know is right. They're doing what, what God's word says because they feel like they're obligated to do it, but there's no broken heart. We see in this text that if we want to see our world impacted by the truth of the gospel, we must be brokenhearted and obedient. The third thing we see is that we will be rejected when we share the truth. Students, you're going to be rejected when you share truth. Some of you guys are going to go to a secular college one day. Some of you guys are going to stick up in a science class and you're going to say something and your teacher is going to reject you. The truth of the matter is we live in a world that is against the truth of God's word. And students, I'm going to tell you, you can give up and you can say, I'm just not going to share the gospel. I'm just not going to say what I believe because I don't want to get rejected. I'm afraid of that rejection. I'm afraid of feeling that pain of knowing that someone does not agree with me. Can I tell you something? People are going to disagree with you. Stand fast, stand firm onto what you know to be the truth. Don't back down from what you know to be the truth. The fourth and final thing is this. The world is still looking and responding to the truth. So we must never give up. I'll share a story and then I'll close. Um, I was talking with an, uh, uh, an older friend uh, who I worked with for a little bit of time, and he was also a believer, and we were just talking about the current situation that our world was in. We were just talking about the, the world around us and all the, the stuff, and I was ta- telling him how uh, I was answering God's call in my life into ministry, and um, he, he said this to me. He said, Nate, I don't know why you're wasting your time. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. You might as well go and just sell cars. You might as well just go and do something else. People are still responding to the truth of God's word. God is still working. God is not done. Students, God is not done with our generation. It's easy for me to look at the news and look at the current events and look at all the stats about millennials and look at all the stats of your generation and see what society thinks about our generation. And it's so easy for me to sit back and go, man, this is just the, like, there is no hope for this situation whatsoever. Our world is in such a fast moral decline, is running so far from the truth. It'd be so easy for us just to sit back and go, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and shut up. I'm not going to share the gospel anymore. I'm not going to stand up for what I believe in. I'm not going to go into the public places and share what I believe. I'm just going to sit back and not say anything. But God still calls us to be obedient. The Great Commission is still applicable today. We are still called to go and to share the gospel with others, seeing them baptized and discipled. So here's my question. Will you stand up for the truth? Like I said at the beginning, many of us here tonight hold to the fact that there is a truth. 
We live in a world that is pushing back against truth. And I'm telling you, if we don't stand up and fight for the truth, if we don't stand up and say, this is what God's word says, and this is the truth, I'm going to open my eyes in 40 years, and I'm not going to recognize this country. Your students are going to open their eyes, and there's going to be policemen at their doors knocking because they attended a church. We must, if we want to see God's kingdom expanded in the United States, we must stand up for truth. Let's pray. Tonight, maybe you're here and you've never really thought about truth. You've never really even thought about, you know, what you believe. Let me ask you tonight to think about what I shared at the beginning. There is one truth, and his name is Jesus. And God sent him to this earth. He lived a sinless life and died on the cross so that you could have forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says that in order for us to receive him, in order for us to receive the forgiveness for our sins, which will separate us from him, all we have to do is admit that we're a sinner, believe that he did what he said he did, and be willing to follow him in our lives. So if that's you tonight, and, and you want to make that decision to follow God, I just want to ask you to, to, to call out to God. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe you sent your son to die for me. God, tonight, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to save me.